Good morning. We are grateful that you are here and look forward to a great day together. Um, I was thinking a few moments ago that uh, I guess yesterday was our anniversary. Many of you wish us a happy anniversary. Appreciate that. But I believe that it was the Sunday after our anniversary four years ago that I stood here and delivered a sermon in tryout form, uh, which is kind of weird to think about. Uh, about four years ago, we usually celebrate July, around July or August as our time is starting here. Uh, but I was just thinking about that a, a few moments ago and appreciate so much this congregation. Appreciate Brian's leading our singing and the prayers and prayers on our behalf. And we just love this congregation very much. And it's always a pleasure and an honor to stand before you and to share God's word for a few moments. But not only that, for the work that we put in together, uh, the work that we are able to do. Uh, Gary's already given a little bit about yesterday morning, but we appreciate all those who came yesterday. Uh, we had all the way from, I guess, Caden was the youngest, Tom was the oldest, and everybody somewhere in between. Uh, we had four of our young men, actually, who were here yesterday morning. Maybe their dads made them and forced them to get out of bed a little bit early, but uh, we appreciated their help, and it was good to have them and all of our folks who, uh, who were here. And Gary is very modest, of course. Tom is, uh, Tom is in charge. Tom is the leader. We appreciate Tom's work, but Gary does a lot as well. We appreciate his effort. Appreciate Jerry Renfro yesterday letting us borrow his truck and trailer. He hauled a lot of the rock that we put out front there together. And uh, the most important person today was Travis because he brought biscuits, sausage and biscuits, so uh, to keep us going. So we appreciate all those who had a part in that. Uh, speaking of the Fridays, uh, we want to remind you again to plan to stay this afternoon. We hope that you'll be back with us at 1.30, certainly for our service, but we hope that you'll stay for a few moments afterwards. Everybody loves cake, right? So we want all want to enjoy in some cake together and honoring Emma for a few moments. So if you can be back with us at 1.30, but then hang around, uh, for just a few moments after that, we'll have some cake and refreshments, uh, but we'll also have a, a little bit of fun uh, sharing and thinking about uh, Emma growing up, and so we want you to certainly be a part of that. One more thing before we get into the lesson. Uh, I had an opportunity on Monday of this week to take part in an event on behalf of trying to raise some funds for the Greater Chattanooga Christian Services. Many of you are familiar with them, the uh, GCCS. A lot of times we think of one of the C's being counseling because that's what they do in regards to counseling. Uh, this is a picture that's on some of the postcard size handouts that we have. There's some in the library. I have some in my office. We try to keep some sitting out front here. Uh, but we, one of those things that we sometimes lose focus on if we're not careful, but being a part of that on Monday, I wanted to share with you and remind you again that we appreciate the work that they do there. Uh, they have several counselors on staff and are able to provide services for members of the church and anyone who would be uh, willing to come and accept some help when it comes to the idea of, of counseling and that kind of thing. And uh, we appreciate our elders giving to that each year and supporting them with sort of a, a set dollar amount from the congregation, from the budget here. Um, but we want you to know as well, those services are always available, and we'd love to put you in touch with them. They do a good thing there uh, as far as the work, and, and a lot of folks have already uh, made use of the services there. Uh, we had Jason Brazier come. Uh, he was the youth minister at Red Bank for several years, many years, and then started work with GCCS. He came, I believe it had to have been right before the pandemic kind of started, and did a presentation on technology and young people and mental health. We'd love to have him come again or someone from that, uh, from GCCS to remind us of the work they do, but it just helps every once in a while with so many people uh, needing help and wanting help, seeking out help, that we have some good opportunities with GCCS. And if you'd like more information, we would love to help you in that way or, or pass that along to you, and you can go visit those good folks there. You know, the story of Joseph is one that you've probably heard countless times. In fact, we have a website that we subscribe to, I guess you could say, and 
uh, it, where I get a lot of the backgrounds that I use for my PowerPoint. And sometimes they work out really great. And sometimes I look at them and I think, well, that's not really what that's about or what that means. And I can kind of take that or leave it or whatever. But when I search for Joseph, uh, besides thinking about the, the father of Jesus in a sense, uh, the other thing that comes up is this one set of slides. And it says, from dream to destiny, the story of Joseph. Now, I know you've heard it and you may have that kind of thought when you think about Joseph. So you think you kind of got it all figured out. I'm not saying this morning that I've got a whole new way of thinking about it. I, I never try to sit down with, with scripture or with a lesson and think, oh, I'm going to come up with this novel way that no one's ever thought of before to kind of try to describe scripture or explain something to you. But I heard a preacher recently trying to listen to podcasts and sermons and things online. I, I heard a, a preacher recently who gave some other things to consider when thinking about the story of Joseph. Now, if you have your Bible, go ahead and be turning to Genesis 37. Go ahead and turn to Genesis 37, and of course it begins, the story of Joseph begins in chapter 37, but that's not the only place that we read about as it continues pretty much through the rest of Genesis. But you, rem you remember the story of Joseph, right? And you maybe think about it in this way, dreaming and destiny. Usually it comes about with some kind of moralistic idea that if we will just do good, that if we will just be faithful to God, he will bless us. This is, again, quote-unquote, our destiny. But you remember the story of Joseph beginning in chapter 37, right? He's first thrown into the pit. As you think about it, if you have your outline in front of you, there's words that all start with the letter P that we can kind of sum up the, the journey, if you will, of Joseph. He begins in the pit because his, he has these dreams in chapter 37. His brothers are angry with him, want to kill him, but sort of settle for that throwing him into the pit where these, he's then going to be sold into slavery. But Joseph goes from the pit, secondly, to Potiphar's house, right? Over in chapter 39, after he's sold into slavery, then he enters into Potiphar's house. And this is this roller coaster, this idea of going up and down or, or bad things happening, but then also good things happening because Joseph goes from the pit to Potiphar's house. And he's blessed in a sense, right? He sort of gains this, uh, this authority, if you will, this status over other people in the house. And that's great. But then he goes from Potiphar's, of house, Potiphar's house, of course, to prison. Right? We think about Potiphar's wife and the interaction between the two of them. And we turn over to chapter 40, and Joseph is then in prison. And he's going to meet the, the two men there, the chief butler and the chief baker, in chapter 40 in prison. They're going to have dreams. We know the story of Joseph is kind of centered around these couplets, if you will, of dreams. His dreams in chapter 37, the cup, uh, excuse me, the butler and the baker in chapter 40. And as he interprets these dreams, then in chapter 41, he's going to become Pharaoh in a sense. Now, he's not top dog, right? He's sort of second in command, we usually say. But what a story it is to go from the pit to Potiphar's house to prison to, to Pharaoh. And it's amazing. And so that slide, this sort of background that these folks have, have given from dreams or from dream to destiny is great in a sense. It's quite amazing. This idea of, of this, but again, it's this idea of this moralistic thing that if we'll just be good, if we'll just be faithful to God, then he's, he's going to bless us. Is that what the story of Joseph is really about? Well, the answer to that is yes and, and no at the same time. Yes, God makes promises that if we'll be faithful to him, he will bless us. But that's not the way it only goes, right? We, we've got countless stories, and many of you have your own, about people who have been faithful, and yet bad things still happen. 
We still lose loved ones. We still have medical things that take place that, that hurt us or loved ones and our lives change. And so, no, it's not all great all the time. But if we're not careful, we hear the story of Joseph and that's all we think. Let's think about this story a little bit differently this morning. And if you would like to follow along, we're going to begin in chapter 41 and verse number 37. You see, we've kind of already gone from the pit to becoming Pharaoh, or at least Pharaoh's second in command. But this story, or at least this part of the story, beginning in 41 and verse 37, is full of more irony than you can ever imagine. Have you ever thought about it? I I mean, I kind of know, and you kind of know maybe a few things. But again, hearing this lesson this week, I thought, what's really interesting? This part, this section of scripture is is full of more irony than you, you probably ever thought about before. So let's consider a few things together. In verse 37, after Joseph has interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, again, the couplet of two dreams. So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the spirit of God? The irony begins here because remember that Joseph was given a dream or dreams by God back in chapter 37 with his brothers. Those first two dreams that he tells them about there. And when he tells his brothers about those dreams, he interprets those dreams correctly. And in essence, we might say he then gives them the word of God because he interprets these dreams correctly. Who then his brothers who then hate him because of this word of God, and want to kill him. But now here in chapter 41, he stands before a pagan king, and the king says, well, I believe you. His brothers, the other Hebrews, don't want to believe him, want to kill him, but this pagan king says, well, yeah, I believe what you have to say. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? Now go down to verse number 40. Or verse 39, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. Now let's look at a few things here together. I think it's about six. Verse 40, you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Think about this for a moment. Every house that Joseph has been a part of has prospered. Every house that he's been a part of has prospered. That includes Potiphar's house, who he had success as he was over the house. But that also includes now that it's going to be Pharaoh's house. But here's the irony. It should be Jacob's house that he is over, but instead it's Pharaoh's house. So when we think about here, to begin with, Joseph is in the wrong house. He's in the wrong house. And while he's had some success, yes... And we do read about that, and we often think about that. It should be Jacob's house that he is prospering. But yet here he is in Pharaoh's house, and it's the wrong house that he is a part of. Verse 41, And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. What land was Joseph supposed to be in? Well, he's supposed to be in the land of promise. Was he not the land of Canaan? It should be Jacob's land, but we notice secondly here that he's in the wrong land. He's in the wrong house, and he's in the wrong land. You see, as a part of God's covenant people, the children of Israel, being a Hebrew, he should be in Jacob's house. He should be in Jacob's land, the land of promise. But here he is, he's in the wrong house, and we notice secondly that he's in the wrong land. But now verse 42, let's keep going. 
Then Pharaoh took his signet ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand, and he clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. Think about it. Thirdly, he's got on the wrong robe. Where did all this start? Go back to chapter 37. Where did all this start? It started with Joseph in a coat of many colors. Did it not? It started with a robe that was his father's robe. And now he's wearing the wrong robe. And we might even go a step further and say here then in, in the next place that he's got the wrong father. He should be in Jacob's house in Jacob's land wearing his father's robe that he gave to him, paying homage and being with his father. But he keeps moving further and further away. And while, yes, he has been blessed to sort of move up, even though he went to prison, he moves up to Pharaoh's house again, he's in the wrong spot. He's got the wrong robe, and essentially he now has the wrong father. But then we notice verse 43. And he had, he had him ride in the second chariot which he had, and they, that's the Egyptians, cried out before him, Bow the knee. So he set him over all the land of Egypt. Now this one's not in your notes. If you have your outline, this one's not going to be on the screen. But notice in verse 43, once again, it's ironic that when he tells his dreams in chapter 37 about how his brothers would bow before him, they essentially say, we'd rather kill you than bow the knee. But here he is in the wrong house, in the wrong land, with the wrong father, and these are the people, these Egyptians, these pagans, who are willing to bow the knee before Joseph. Life is full of irony. And when we think about Joseph, there's a lot here in this particular story that maybe we've not thought about before. Now go to verse 44. Let's keep going. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man may lift his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. But notice, first of all, at the beginning of verse 45, now he's given the wrong name. He's got a Hebrew name. That's what he's known by, but now he's been given the wrong name. He has a name to be identified with the people of God, and this pagan king gives him a pagan name. Now here's your plug to be back at 1.30, if you would. Because what's interesting is, when we talk about this idea of dreams to destiny with Joseph, we don't treat it the same way that we do Daniel chapter 1. See, I want you to be back at 1.30 because we're going to do our book of the month club, as we call it. And we're going to talk about the book of Daniel. But have you ever thought before that we treat these two stories very differently? You see, the preacher will usually say in Daniel chapter 1 how awful it is that those four young Hebrew men get given different names. And three of them... We know their names, well, the names we call them are by their given names by their captives, not their Hebrew names. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that's not their Hebrew names. We don't remember those, but we remember the other three names. And we think how awful that is. They've taken them captive and they've given them a different name. But what about Joseph? Joseph is given a wrong name as well. It's an insult in Daniel 1, but usually looked like it's okay here. So now on top of all these other wrong things, he has a wrong name. And we already read just a moment ago in verse 45, the second part, that now he's going to have the wrong wife. Not only is she a pagan, 
but she is the daughter of a pagan priest that he's going to marry here at this time. So he's got the wrong house, the wrong land, the wrong robe, the wrong father, the wrong name, and now the wrong wife. But one more thing before we kind of go on and make a little bit of application for ourselves here. Through all that, one more bit of irony takes place in verses 50 through 52. Jump down to verse 50. And if Joseph were born two sons to this wrong wife, before the years of famine came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, the priest of On, bore to him, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. He has two sons. And when they're born, he doesn't give them the Egyptian names. He doesn't give them these pagan names. He gives them Hebrew names. Names of the covenant. As we go backwards through the Old Testament, we think about all the times that God has made this land of seed, or the, excuse me, this promise of seed, promise of land, provenant, promise of the covenant. God's covenant people who bear his name, who bear Hebrew names that honor him. And yet Joseph is going to take time in the pagan land, serving the pagan king to still give his sons Hebrew names. Now, as we think about all that, and we sort of take a look at the, these ironic moments, and maybe take a, a little bit of a different look at them, I think there are three lessons this morning that maybe we can take away from this irony that we just noticed. Things that maybe we might have not have considered before, but would still be applicable to us as we try to think about our lives today. Number one, we need to be people that let go. As people who are serving God, we need to be people that let go. Now, we read over it very quickly just a moment ago, but at the end of verse number 51, you see that his first son is named Manasseh. And another way to interpret Manasseh, if you depend on the version that you're having there, verse 50, it tells you what Manasseh means. The New King James says, For God has made me forget. For God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the way I heard it said, that kind of stuck with me, another way we might interpret Manasseh is to say, I let that go. I let that stuff go. Joseph, who is living at the highest levels in all the world. I mean, think about it. The known world at that time, what would be the opposite of the people of God? Well, it would be Egypt in a sense. The greatest country the world had ever known probably up to that time. Joseph is living at the highest levels of that country. And he still names his son and gives him a Hebrew name. Question. Do you ever think that Joseph got questioned about that? Do you ever, th ever think that whether it was someone else in the court or in the palace. Or whether it was someone else that he met on the street or just anyone. If anyone ever said to him. Do you ever think they wondered why? his sons had Hebrew names. Do you ever think that maybe that question would come in the form of, why is it that you would give your sons Hebrew names when the Hebrew people had forsaken him? Right? 
I mean, they look at Joseph and they see the success story that he is, but they also know that he was forsaken by his brothers. He was left to die. He was sold into slavery. All these awful things that happened to him. And yet here he is. He's going to honor his Hebrew heritage, God's covenant people, with his covenant name. Why would he do that? It's because he let that stuff go. Because he let it go. Many of us today are holding on to past pain, and we need to let that go. Some of us are holding on to stuff, not physical, but maybe mental, maybe emotional, and we've got to let that go. Sometimes we struggle to live as redeemed people because we are clinging too tightly to our feelings, and we need to let that go. We do put ourselves in Joseph's shoes sometimes here. And we've not even got to the part where his brothers come back into the picture. But when you stand here, especially in chapter 41, and you look back all the way to chapter 37 and everything that took place, most of us would be holding a grudge pretty tightly, right? I mean, most of us would. I'm not speaking to them again. I don't want to go back. I don't want to see their faces. I don't want to even think about them anymore. But Joseph takes his first son, and he gives him a name, in essence saying, I've let it go. And folks, this morning, we've got to be people, redeemed people, serving God, who let stuff go. It doesn't mean we don't stand for the truth. It doesn't mean sometimes we don't need to set things straight, because we do. We need to have honest conversations. We need to talk about things that are in the way. But sometimes we've also just got to let it go. So that we can move forward together as people of God, working together, serving Him. How far would Joseph have gone if he had just kept holding on to all that? I mean, we don't know, but can you imagine him sitting in prison, constantly maybe over, literally in the corner, sort of stewing to himself, and not even hearing the butler and the baker talking about the fact that they've had these dreams, not being able to step in and help because he's just caught up in his own mess, because he won't let it go. But as we know, because his brothers do come back into the picture in just a moment, that he does let it go and allows him to move on. And what a reminder here with the name Manasseh, I've let it go, and we need to be people who do the same thing. Number two, we need to remember that God's providence is always at work. Do you remember in chapter 42, chapter 42, that Joseph's brothers come to get food in Egypt, right? They've stored up this according to Pharaoh's dreams and Joseph's interpretation They've stored up the food, and his brothers are hungry. They need food, and they come to Egypt to get the food. And through chapter 43 and chapters 43 and 44, he he tests them several times, right? You recall the idea of of his brothers, the idea of the money, the things they're finding in their bags. Chapter 44, Joseph's cup is found in their bags, and all of these things are, are going on. He tests them several times. But you know what's interesting about this story? All of it. We sort of think that it is about Joseph, right? It's the story of Joseph. But do you remember in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 2? Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus, right? Do you see Joseph's name there? You don't. We sometimes then come back and we think the story is about Benjamin. Do you remember how important Benjamin was? Because how great and wonderful Joseph was, Benjamin was important to Jacob as well. Benjamin was very important to Jacob. And so we sometimes think about Benjamin 
being taken from his brothers, the things that Joseph does with Benjamin as he's testing his brothers, and we may even think that this story is about Benjamin. But if you didn't turn over to Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 2, do you read Benjamin's name there? No, you don't. Now look in chapter 45 of Genesis, verses 1 through 4, and we see that as Joseph is about to reveal himself to his brothers, that he cannot restrain himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? And we try to imagine the shock on their face, right? It's not even computing. Uh, they're like, we don't understand. Who are you? You must be telling stories. This can't be true. But he says, I am Joseph. Joseph, verse 3, but his brothers could not answer him. They're dismayed in his presence. That does not make sense. And Joseph said to his brothers, verse 4, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But, verse 5, but now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to show you that what would happen when people would be faithful, right? Is that what it says? Because that's the story from dreams to destiny. God sent me before you so that people would know that if you just do what's right, God's going to take care of you. Is that what he says in verse number 5? He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. What life? The Egyptians? Yes, maybe. The Hebrews, because they were going to need food as well? Yes, maybe. But remember for just a moment that God, from Genesis chapter 2, at least through Genesis chapter 12 that we usually point out, and so on up until this moment, has talked about the seed of promise. And there are problems along that line, right? You see, we don't go very far from chapter 2 where God begins to talk about this seed after the fall of man with Adam and Eve, that then Cain kills Abel. Well, we got a problem now, right? How is that seed going to continue on? Well, we read just a few verses later that then Seth is going to come onto the scene. Then we come to chapter 12, and we begin to read about Abram. And we think about Abram has Sarah, but she is beyond childbearing years. So we've got a problem. But God has a promise. And we see that it's carried on. And we go through Isaac, and we go through Jacob and Esau. And now with Jacob, there are 12 sons. And which one is going to be the seed of promise? It ain't Joseph. It ain't Benjamin. But the seed identifies himself in chapter 44 in verse number 18 when he intercedes for his brother because it is Judah. You go over to Matthew chapter 1 and you read Judah's name because Judah is part of this seed line of promise. And while, yes, this is great about Joseph and, yes, Benjamin plays an important part, the story of Joseph is about God's providence being at work. And because of what Joseph has done, because of God's amazing providence, the promised seed line continues. At this point, if we try to read this fresh with not knowing what we already know, who knows who that's going to be, right? Judah's not walking around going, well, I'm the promised one. They've told me I'm going to be the greatest. Judah doesn't know that. And if you read the story, you think it's probably Joseph, but it's not. It's Judah. We love to consider God's providence sometimes. 
We talk about Esther, chapter 4 and verse 14. Yet who knows, for such a time as this. If you were with us a few months ago, we studied the book of Philemon on Wednesday night. We talked about Philemon, verse number 15. Paul would write, for perhaps, perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose. The work of God's providence is very interesting when it comes to Joseph. But have you ever considered the idea of Judah and the promised seed, the seed line being continued on because of what Joseph had done? But one final point here, and the lesson will be yours. In verse number 52, back in chapter 43, excuse me, back in chapter 41, 41 in verse 52, we read the, son of Joseph, the, the name of Joseph's second son. He says, in the name of the second he called Ephraim. For God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Stop there and put yourself in the shoes of an Egyptian again for just a moment. Joseph, see you've had a son and you named him Ephraim, another Hebrew name. He says, yes, this is what it means. God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Excuse me? Come again? This is the land of your affliction? Because I'm pretty sure what I know about your past, you were not fruitful in the land where people wanted to kill you, where people sold you into slavery. Isn't isn't that the land of affliction where you were hated? No, no. That isn't the land of my affliction. This is the land of my affliction. Because I am a part of God's people And it doesn't matter how great this place or this country or these comforts are or how much money you have or how tall the buildings are or how much pleasure that you can give people. Anywhere that is not home, anywhere that is away from God is the land of my affliction. Folks, some of us need a hard and fast reminder that this world is not my home and anywhere not home is the land of of my affliction. May we all be able to say, as the Hebrew writer says about Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse number 10, that we are people who are looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God, and until I get there, this is the land of my affliction. Where do we live? Where do we, where do we live right now? Where do we live? Joseph is in the greatest city in the world. He's in the greatest city that the world has ever seen or known up until that point. He has all the wealth. He has all the power. He has all the comforts that a person could ever dream of. And he still considers it the land of his affliction. Where do we live? I've heard it said from microphones just like this that we live in the greatest nation in the world. And sometimes we act like it. Like everything we have is wrapped up here. And our treasure is not somewhere beyond the blue. But it's tied to this old world of sin and death. Of corruption. Of moths and thieves. And we make our choice as if there is no heaven or hell. And we simply live for this world. This is not our home. This is not as good as it gets. Our best day here fails and falls woefully short of what might be considered the worst day there. Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. How can you say that, Paul? 
We like it here. I've got family here. I love people here, and I'm enjoying my life here. That's right. How can you say that, Paul? Because this is the land of my affliction. When we think about Joseph, we need to be like Joseph. May we be in the land of our affliction, but understand that we are not going to live here. We work hard. We share the good news of Jesus Christ. And we work to the glory of God wherever we are. But just like he had the wrong house, the wrong land, the wrong robe, the wrong father, the wrong name, and the wrong wife, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. This is the land of my affliction. And I may have good things. I may have things that give me comfort and peace. I may have people that I love. But may we remember from the story of Joseph that this is just the land of our affliction. And we must keep working as if that is the truth, working towards our home. We enjoy a lot about this world. We enjoy a lot about this country. But it's not all there is. May we keep our eyes focused on the goal, focused on the home in heaven that we can have. And with that in mind, we're about to sing a song of encouragement. As you're here this morning, there's a chance that someone here has not ever become a child of God by putting on Christ in baptism. We'll be singing to encourage you. Would you be willing to confess Jesus as Lord, repent of your sins, be baptized for the remission of those sins so that the Lord can add you to his church? You can make heaven your home in a sense. You're not there yet, but we're all working together. As we do that, we're supposed to remain faithful, but it's a struggle. It's hard because this land gives us lots of comforts. It gives us lots of pleasure. It holds people and things that we love dearly. But we need to remember that we're to be faithful even up into the point of death so that we can have that crown of life. Maybe you're here this morning and you are a child of God, but you've wandered away. Maybe there's something in your life that separated you from him, some type of sin that you'd like to make known in a public fashion. We're thankful for our elders that they can come to the front here and greet you and pray with you and for you. And there's nothing more that we'd like to do right now in this moment than to encourage someone to become a Christian or come back to God to think about that home in heaven, not this land of our affliction. If we can assist you in any way, you can make it known as we stand together and as we sing.